0: Get it in here! I got one thing to say. This is when the big dogs come out.
1: Okay, right. the big dogs. Yeah. Stay on the board! It's
0: time! Live. Let's rock this place. Let's have some fun. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance tonight. Diagnosis, prognosis, osmosis. Say what? It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin.
1: I want to know what the hell he's smoking.
0: The doctor
2: is now in. And a very good Wednesday to you, middle of the work week, hump day it is. Glad to have you with us. T.C. Martin with you. Another action-packed show coming your way today, guest-driven show, and we've got a lot to cover today. NFL, of course, we will take a look at the Super Wildcard Weekend. Now, where'd that name come from? The Super Wildcard Weekend. Why? Because we still have buys. We Have one buy, one in each conference, and uh, we still have pretty much, I guess, the same number of games. Oh, because we have a game, we got game Saturday, we got a game Sunday, and now we have Monday Night Football. Okay, I guess that's why. So we will. Preview the super wild card weekend coming your way. T.J. Reeves will join us from Tampa Bay, the voice of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and uh, our very good friend Trevor Maddich, the 15-time Emmy Award winner, of course, with ESPN, who just got done with his uh, long day and night of work over uh, on Monday with the national championship game on the college football side with... Georgia and Alabama. So, Trev will uh, join us this hour as well. And next hour, Kevin Krueger will join us. Love hearing from Kevin. Of course, the Rebels victorious last night on the hardwood, 85-56 over New Mexico. Very impressive performance for UNLV. They dominated from uh, the beginning all the way to the end. So, we will uh, talk to Kevin Kruger and get his thoughts as we normally do. So, yeah, a lot to cover, a lot to hit on uh, today's show But uh, looking forward to that. All right. uh, Again, I want to thank everybody who participated and chimed in yesterday regarding Brian Blessing as we dedicated the first hour of yesterday's show uh, to Brian and still saddened about uh, his sudden passing that happened uh, last Sunday at the age of 64 years old. So going to miss seeing him, of course and uh, not being in here and coming into the studio again here today it's going to take a while not to to see him, you know, wiping down the microphones. <laughs> see him um, just uh, you know, having this place smell good. And and that's the thing. With Numchuck it doesn't smell good. When we when I followed Brian, I mean, every day this place smelled good. And it's funny because he was one of the few guys that would wipe down microphones and wipe down the consoles and everything. and he, But he didn't use Lysol. And in, in our business in radio, Lysol is what you're supposed to use. But for some reason, Brian didn't like Lysol. I think he believed that he could use some spritzer or something. I don't know what it was. But I think he thought that it disinfected everything. And maybe it did. Who knows what? Maybe there was something in there that did. But the bottom line is, Every time I came into the studio, for the better part, you know, since the pandemic's been going on, this place has smelled like a boutique at Macy's or something. That's Always floral. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Always floral, floral. something. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Floral. That's good. That's good. There you go. Yeah. But why you have not keeped keep up the tradition, I, I, have, I have no idea what you're doing there. But, but maybe at least get the Lysol out. Maybe you should do that. You, should, you know, you should practice a... Uh, Safeness—they're not on me. I mean, come on, jeez, guy's out of control. But there you go. All right, but oh, man, well, if you start doing that, I might not be able to do a show. That's what you're trying to do to me, huh? Jeez. Now I know why Blessing didn't use the Lysol. Whew. Go find his uh, floral arrangements or whatever he did uh, via the spray. But anyway, yes. So that, and then seeing him go outside and smoke his cigarettes, like we talked about yesterday. Uh, during the course of the show and doing the cross talk with him, especially when you know after a Golden Knights game or specifically when there was big Golden Knights news, uh, we missed that aspect of it. So hopefully, you enjoyed the show yesterday and enjoyed uh, hearing from so many of our friends and colleagues, especially friends of Brian's uh, who he knew very well and who he worked with. Um, it, it was, it, it, was re- it was really nice to hear all that, and I got a lot of compliments from a lot of people yesterday. So uh, my pleasure doing that, just as we did for my good friend Ballpark Frank. And again, to lose both of those guys within a, a seven-week period still stings very, very hard. So, again, Brian Blessing, we, we miss him. And, uh, you know, again, uh, we'll see what happens with the, that time slot from 12 to 2. But I know, um, you know, he's had people like Ken Bolke and stuff and other people stepping in here. I believe what Jason was in here today. So it, it's great people stepping in, uh, you know, for him in – and keeping his show alive that he created here um, going on five years ago between the hours of 12 and 2. And like I said yesterday, that was one of the main reasons why I came over here because he was here and uh, I, I wanted to be able to follow his show and, you know, work together and help each other out and do our thing. And we know that, you know, we... Probably have some different audiences, but there's a lot of carryover with our audiences with our shows as well too. So uh, it it was great, uh, you know, following Brian for, you know, the past you know two plus years uh, that I have been here. All right, so Raiders and Cleveland, Cleveland. Listen to me, Cleveland. Raiders and Cincinnati coming up on Saturday, and the Raiders coming off that big emotional victory. What do the Raiders have left? All right. They have a short work week. game is on Saturday. It's at one thirty p m and the Raiders have to travel to Cincinnati. They will make that pilgrimage on friday Friday morning uh, they will be leaving uh get a good night's rest, hopefully in Cincinnati. Weather calls for temperatures in the twenties. You could have some snow flurries in this game. Uh, we highly anticipate you know not very good weather in Cincinnati. During the month of January. But this is going to be an interesting game. And like I said yesterday. As well as Monday. It was great for the Raiders to get. That number 5 seed. Because what that did. It put them in a much better position. In the number 5 seed. To go on the road and play a team. That basically is its equal. In the number 4 seed in the Cincinnati Bengals. If the Raiders. Would have tied that game against the Chargers. On Sunday. Which looked like. It was a real possibility. The Raiders could have had the seventh seed. They could have been facing Kansas City, going to Kansas City. And I know I had this discussion with some people last night, and they were saying, but you know what? The Raiders know Kansas City very well. And, you know, they're division opponents. They beat Kansas City in a game last year, you know, in Kansas City. And I just said, whoa, 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 slow your roll a little bit. Since that loss, the Kansas City got by the Raiders, basically in front of very few fans. I think they had like 16,000 fans during the pandemic last season. We knew what happened later on. All right? The Kansas City Chiefs came to Allegiant Stadium, took care of business, and then two games this year, the Raiders were obliterated by the Chiefs. So that was the Chiefs' wake-up call Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, the company, they were not going to let that happen again. So to have the Raiders face the Chiefs in the opening round of the playoffs would not have been good for the Raiders at all. And I don't care if you think you know them or not. Well, they know you just as well, too. And again, recent history shows Kansas City dominated the Raiders, and that's not a matchup you want. So, And you don't want to go to Arrowhead Stadium in January. You don't want that in front of 80,000-plus. No. You want to go to Cincinnati, a team that has not won a playoff game in 31 years. Think about that. They have not won a playoff game in 31 years. Cost Marvin Lewis his job. And Bengals' ownership hung with Marvin Lewis year after year after year. Say, well, maybe he'll get it right. You know, he made the playoffs. First-round exits each and every season. Now they've gone to Zach Taylor. Basically, Zach Taylor, no head coaching experience. They struggled. They went to the Mike Zimmer realm for a while. Mike Zimmer couldn't get it done. Mike Zimmer goes to Minnesota. Mike Zimmer couldn't get it done in Minnesota. What happens to Mike Zimmer? Oh, yeah. Two days ago, he loses his job. He gets fired by the Vikings, along with you know several other coaches that got dismissed. We'll get into that here in a minute. But bottom line is, the Raiders are in a good position. What are your thoughts? 702. 221 83 Love to hear from your first time callers. Welcome as well. 702-221-7283. Raiders, Bengals. We talk about that. If you're at the game, you watch the game, Sunday night football, the Raiders and the Chargers, hit me on that. Let's talk about that. College football, national championship game. We're going to dive into that with Trevor Maddich here coming up as well as the NFL super wildcard weekend as well, too. You got thoughts about Alabama and Georgia and what you saw there? Uh, curious on your take with that, uh, Brian blessing thoughts, you know, since we didn't get a chance to get to callers yesterday, since we were so jammed up with, uh, friends and colleagues that, uh, you know, wanted to pay their respects to Brian. So if we have listeners that would like to say a few words, uh, regarding Brian, Hey, we're here for that here in this segment, uh, as well too. So open phone lines at 702 221 Okay. So back to Raiders-Bengals. This line here briefly opened up at, as a Bengals' a seven-point favorite on Sunday night, or actually early Monday morning. Quickly got bet down to six and a half, down to six. Now today, there are five and a halves all over the place, and so the Raiders are getting love. They're getting money, and not only are they getting public money, which we firmly expect here in Las Vegas, but they're also getting some sharp money as well, and we'll dive into that, you know, starting tomorrow with Scott Spritzer, and then on Friday with Marco D'Angelo as uh, we start, you know, handicapping the games and we give you our best bets at the Cosmopolitan on Friday. But in this game, it, there it makes sense on why the Raiders would get some money. Now, even though the Raiders themselves have not won a playoff game in nineteen seasons, <laughs> that's right, two thousand and two. So you got a battle between the Raiders and the Bengals, and combined there, these two teams have not won a playoff game in fifty years. Think about that, thirty-one for the Bengals. Oh, and then last time, remember that game? Yeah, it was it was the Raiders and the Bengals. When Bo Jackson got injured, our good friend Jay Schrader in that game, quarterback for the Raiders. How about that? And we touched upon that last Friday as well, I'm sure we'll touch upon that again during the course of this week as well. But yes, you have two futile franchises that are begging for a win. And to be in the postseason, fans in Cincinnati are saying, well, here we go again, because they've had favorable matchups in the past. But they have not been able to get victories. A lot of fans, they've had home games so many times as well. And I mentioned those years uh, specifically with Marvin Lewis. Have not been able to get wins when they've been favored. They've choked away games late in the fourth quarter. What is going to happen on Saturday? Now these two teams met early on the season. 32-13. The Bengals defeated the Raiders at Elysian Stadium November the 21st. That game was was crazy in the sense where the Raiders played pretty well. It was a close game, and then the game got away from them as they made some mistakes, made some turnovers in the fourth quarter, and Joe Burrow had pinpoint accuracy. They looked fantastic in that game. Joe Mixon and, and the Bengals got the victory. But what have the Bengals done since that time? They've been scary. Scary as in scary not good. Because the Bengals have been a very uneven team when you look at this team. They're 10-7, and 7, just like the Raiders. And we go back to that game that I mentioned on the 21st of November where they won. They came back at, at home. They beat the Steelers 41-10. to, to 10, And then they hosted the Chargers in a game where they were never in. They got blasted by the Chargers 41-22 on their home turf. They then played the 49ers tough in another home game where they lost 26-23, to played well enough to win, but again, made mistakes. Niners were very banged up in that game back on December the 12th. Then they went to Denver. They took care of business. They won 15-10. Then they came back home and played the Ravens. The Ravens were decimated at that point in time. Uh, They they won handily 41-21. No Lamar Jackson in that game for the Ravens. And then what happens? The Bengals pulled off the big upset against the Kansas City Chiefs in a tale of two halves. You go back to that January 2nd game, they win the game 34-31. You remember how they just milked the clock there at the end. They kicked a game-winning field goal. But earlier on, the Chiefs moved up and down the field in the first half. It looked like the Chiefs were going to run away uh, in this game. And the Chiefs had led this game 28-17 to at halftime. Bengals come out, make, all, uh, make several adjustments. Kansas City falls asleep. Bengals get a touchdown in the third, score 10 more in the fourth. They hold Kansas City to three points in the second half. The Bengals outscore the Chiefs 17-3 to in that game. Boom. And that was a huge win for the Bengals, winning 34-31. So can the Bengals turn it on and turn it off? Yeah, they can do it. We saw them do it against the Raiders. We saw them do it against the Chiefs. We've seen them do it uh, you know, against other quality opponents this year. But then again, we saw them also lose to the Browns 41-16. to And that was the game prior to they coming to Vegas at Allegiant Stadium when they beat the Raiders 32-13. to So, bottom line is, you don't know what you're going to get with the Cincinnati Bengals. And honestly, you don't know what you're going to get with the Raiders. Now, what we do know, and fans are pretty excited, that the Raiders have won four games in a row. Very impressive, but... If we want to play devil's advocate, we want to nitpick here. And it's really not nitpicking. Again, it's just telling it like it is. Let's go back. When the Raiders were left for dead after they got beat by the Chiefs and really got embarrassed by the Chiefs at Kansas City, 48-9. to Raiders come back in the must-win game start against the Browns with four games left to play. No Baker Mayfield, no Miles Garrett, no basically anybody For the Browns, they were missing seven defensive starters. No running game at all to speak of. And the Raiders eked out a 16-14 victory in a game where the Browns could have won at the end. That would have ended the Raiders' season back before Christmas on December 20th. The Raiders marked that one off. They got the win against a depleted Browns team. They come back to Allegiant Stadium. Their life or death against the Denver Broncos. And they beat the Broncos 17-13 to in a game where they held the Broncos to under 200 total yards. They played fantastic, but again, it was a narrow victory against a team that had Drew Locke as their quarterback, not Teddy Bridgewater. So uh, that was it, and that was the last victory for the Denver Broncos for the season. Then they go to Indianapolis, and that was a game everyone had circled on their calendar. This is probably going to be the end of the Raiders season. is going to be a Colts victory, but the Raiders get a little bit of luck on their side for this game as Carson Wentz comes down with COVID early on in that week, going back to the Monday earlier on that week. Carson Wentz, along with several other Colts players, had to go in COVID protocols. The Colts practiced outside that week and practiced inside, but they started the week with virtual meetings. Carson Wentz Could not practice. Several others could not practice. Darius Leonard had to come back right before the game because he missed the Colts' previous game due to COVID. So the Colts get Carson Wentz back on the morning of the game on January 2nd, and the Colts lose to the Raiders 23-20, and now all of a sudden the Raiders control their own destiny again, and... It's the game against the Chargers, which we saw last Sunday night. The game gets flexed to NBC Sunday night football. Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth calling it and just being there again in that stadium was phenomenal. And seeing the Raiders jump out to a 10 nothing lead, um, taking care of business and lose the lead 14-10. They have the lead at halftime, 17-14, and then they go up by 15 points in the fourth quarter and you think, okay, it's over. It's done. And then the Chargers put together a ridiculous long drive to cut the lead down to seven because they go for two, which was another Brandon Stately questionable call, but they got it because if they didn't get that, they would have been down nine, and they don't come back to force overtime because they need two scores in the final four minutes, but they got it, and they held the Raiders, they got the ball back, they came down, scored a touchdown, as time expired in another lengthy drive, and the Chargers force overtime. A 19-play drive. A 19-play, 75-yard drive that had everybody in Allegiant Stadium shaking their head what would they do. What they did exactly was they converted on six fourth down conversions. Two fourth and sixes, one fourth and nine. Count them three. Three fourth and tens. Needed to to convert every one of these in order to just stay alive. And then what happens? Fourth and 21, complete a pass inside the 10 yard line. And there you have it. (laughs) And then the Herbert pass in the end zone to Mike Williams to tie the thing up. They kicked the PAT, and then we're going to overtime. And so many fans in Allegiant Stadium thought, could this really be happening? And they saw it with their own eyes. So that's a concern for me, the Raiders' defense. When you give up six fourth-down conversions, all pretty much of long yardage, the shortest being 4th and 6s. Two of those. And like I said, the 4th and 9. 3 the and 10s. And the 4th and 21. The Raiders come up with stops on any of those. The game is over. But letting the Chargers hang around. And you just got the feeling that the Chargers had one more possession. In that overtime, the Raiders probably don't win the game. They don't win the game. And they're not in the playoffs. You could have played for the tie. But they scratched that because Brandon Staley called the timeout for the Chargers with 38 seconds left, and therefore the Raiders ran a play, got Josh Jacobs to get into field goal range for Daniel Carlson, the 10-yard gain. The Raiders called a timeout with two seconds to go. Carlson nails a field goal. Raiders get the win. And like I said in the beginning here, more importantly, they get the number five seed because they got the victory against the Chargers. So, Wow. How much of that will have a factor in Saturday's game because they have to go on the road short week? Well, we saw them have to go on the road short week against the Browns, against Colts, but you know this is a little bit different. You're actually playing on a Saturday afternoon, all right? 1.30 Pacific time, this thing will kick off. And the Raiders have a shot because you don't know what you're going to get with the Bengals. But this team is playing on house money right now, and as Derek Carr has said over the last few days and after that game Sunday night, it's like, hey, we've seen it all. We've had all this adversity all season long, from John Gruden to him being dismissed, embarrassingly being dismissed, Henry Ruggs embarrassingly you know, making the mistakes that he made. And unfortunately, killing a woman and her dog, and the Raiders having to answer those questions, and then continuing on with the other nonsense that they had to deal with, with with players making, you know, stupid videos in <laughs> showing a machine gun. Damon Arnett. They've had to deal with so many things, and then the injuries, and then COVID, and so much. But you know who's been the steady piece of this? Rich Basaccia as the interim head coach, and Derek Carr, and Josh Jacobs. Those guys, and let's throw Hunter Renfro in there as well, too. All of those guys have stepped up big time for the Las Vegas Raiders, and they've put themselves in a position. And so is this good enough for Raiders fans? They wanted to make the playoffs. Now, don't feel that it's just good enough. You get in the postseason, we've seen it. Wild card teams, six and seven seeds. We've never had a seventh seed because it's never happened before. But six seeds have made the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl. We've seen it. It can happen. And by getting that number five seed, where you get to open up against the number four seed, man, you can ride this wave. It can happen. And I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not predicting a Raider victory. You know, on this Wednesday, I'm not saying that that is going to happen at this point in time right now. Because if the Bengals and Joe Burrow. And Joe Mixon and the receiving core that they have there, especially with Jamar Chase, wow, look out. I mean, the Bengals, they may put 30-plus on the board just like they did here at Elysian Stadium. And um, even though they lost last week to the Browns, but Burrow didn't play. Chase didn't play. So they had a week off to get rested. But it's a home playoff game, and believe me, Joe Burrow's a young quarterback. Zach Taylor's a young coach. And they have been hearing it in the Cincinnati media all week long that this franchise hasn't won a playoff game in 31 seasons. They have been hearing it. And that, that will be in their head. Can they overcome it? And the Raiders playing on house money? Raiders could pull it off. Wouldn't surprise me a bit. All right, let's get some thoughts when we uh, come back. TJ. Reeves is going to join us. We talk about the playoff matchup. We talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They got the victory last week against Carolina. They get the number two seed, and we know what happened last year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They came in as a wild card. they rolled into Green Bay, they took care of business, took care of the chiefs, they're Super Bowl champions, and Tom Brady is back again. But is this a different Buccaneers team? We talk about the Bucks and the playoffs when we come back on this Wednesday.
1: I do exactly what I want
0: to do. It's, it's the, the doctor, T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much.
3: The doctor is now in.
2: All right, here we go. We're getting ready for the Super Wild Card Weekend. Hey, hey, hey. Looking forward to it. Guest lineup continues today. To Trevor Mattis joins us next hour. we got Kevin Krueger talking UNLV runner-rebels. On the football side, Steve Berline joins us tomorrow. Scott Spritzer. we start doing the handicapping. And uh, our A-team of handicappers keep coming. Friday, Marco D'Angelo, look forward to that. Mike Pritchard. The former wide receiver. Mm, Yep, that's all happening Friday. Giving it to you all angles, all aspects, just like we do every Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. And, of course, at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas each and every Friday. It was great being there on Monday for the national championship game. Great crowd on hand there as well, too. Great to have, of course, Jay Schrader, the former quarterback and another member of our team. So, uh, great stuff. We continue to... Keep on keeping on as we work our way towards the postseason and looking forward to it this weekend. I know who's also looking forward to the postseason as well, and that is our good friend T.J. Reeves, who was on the call last weekend for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers doing the play-by-play with their victory over the Carolina Panthers. T.J. Reeves, what is happening, my friend?
0: Always good to be with my initials brother out in the desert it was a blast to do that game uh, pinch-hitting for the legend, the Hall of Famer Gene Deckerhoff. Uh, got the short-notice call that, hey, you're going to be in because Gene is in the COVID-19 protocols. So ended up working the game on Sunday, and for a little while there, it was a little shaky, but then, man, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski and company kicked it into gear. It was a lot of fun to be on the call for a record, first time ever, 13th win. First time the Bucks have ever won 13 games, granted, 17-game schedule, but they got it done, and now on to the playoffs, like you're saying, and there is a ton of anticipation and it's only midweek for this game with the Eagles.
2: Well, I will say this my friend and again, you know, as we know TJ Reeves has been doing the sideline reporting there part of the broadcast uh, for the Bucks for so many years, doing a great job and you know, we had played clips ESPN got a hold of some clips of of him talking about Antonio Brown there the week before and then uh, you know, again, unfortunately for your longtime play play-by-play guy who's been doing it for forever as well too. Unfortunately, he gets COVID, but you you step in, and you do the play-by-play, and I was driving to Allegiant Stadium for the Raiders game, and while I was driving, I had to listen to my guy, and you sounded fantastic, my friend. I, I believe it was you <laughs> and Anthony Beck, right? the That's former correct. The former tight end. You guys did a fantastic job, man, so kudos to you.
0: Yes, and Anthony had to fill in for our analyst, Dave Moore. Again, in these COVID-crazy right. times, uh, he did step in uh, for Dave Moore, our longtime radio analyst, one tight end for another, so Beck and I worked that game, and we had a lot of fun. And there's actually uh, a clip of us on the – H uh, now the Showtime, I guess, does the show, the inside the NFL show, uh, where Rob Gronkowski, much the same way as the doctor gets these half-million-dollar and million-dollar bonuses for everything you're doing in Vegas radio, Gronk was one catch away from getting an extra half-million in the in the fourth quarter of that game. And Tom Brady was going to make sure he got it. So we're on the clip talking about it. Anthony Beck is talking about all he needs is one more catch, and I'm going cha-ching on the (laughs) the catch that got Gronk an extra million in addition to a 100-yard game. And I will testify here on the Doctor's show in the desert, on the galactically famous T.C. Martin show, Rob Gronkowski right now looks like the Rob Gronkowski of about five years ago in New England, and that is bad news for the Eagles and anybody else if this guy stays healthy because he was running – like younger Rob Gronkowski, he was running defenders over two and three at a time. That is bad news trying to stop him down the middle. With Tom Brady in the passing attack, yeah,
2: and, and to that point, you know Gronk had some moments last year, but he never was that old Rob Gronkowski. I and mean, he came out of retirement and had some big catches during that Bucks playoff drive in the Super Bowl, as we know. But he has not looked like that same guy, you know, consistently week in and week out. And you're right, we are starting to see that now. And uh, again, a lot of these, you know, a lot of fans thought like, okay, Gronk gets another Super Bowl ring, and and Brady, especially Gronk, okay, you know he's he's got TV, he's got Movie. He's got other stuff you know. he wants to do. He might not come back. And, and it was probably less than 50-50 that he was coming back. Not only does he come back, he comes back in shape. And, you know, he's doing the USAA commercials. Maybe this guy got him motivated. Who knows what. But, no, he looks great. He looks in great shape. The hands are great. The legs are great. It's fantastic. And, TJ Reeves, you described uh, the call about Gronkowski Trying to work for that bonus. You don't have to describe it because we have it right here, my friend. Good. Let's go, I need one more. Yeah. If I don't get the seven catch, I have to go get a real job. All <laughs> we gotta see is Gronkowski get his
0: catch here. What does that mean? Cha-ching. Gronkowski has his catch bonus. Tom, good pass, dog. Yeah, thank you. Thank you,
1: dog. You just got a milli? Yeah, I got a you milli. You just got a milli? Oh, I got a milli. We are going. Where we going? To the city. Yeah, yeah, we going, to the, we don't going to the
2: city. We going to the city. Rob Gronkowski having a little fun. Got a little milli. Got a little <laughs> million bucks for that catch. That's uh-huh. T.J. Reeves, Anthony Beck, and T.J. Reeves saying cha-ching. The big question is, the city, where are they going to the city? Tell me they're not know. going, tell me they're not going down to Atlanta where we saw all those ham and acres go last year during the pandemic. There we go. Nunchuck, where's my music, please? Cause we would always talk about Magic City. Please oh, do boy. not go to Magic City. I, I know it's a, it's a short, uh, uh, you know, plane ride from Tampa Bay to, to Atlanta. Uh, TJ, tell me there's not a Magic City there in Tampa Bay.
0: Oh, there's plenty of places that you could potentially get in trouble in terms of nightlife. Ebor City in Tampa Bay. Uh, as well as not too far from Raymond James Stadium. There's a couple of establishments that are very well-known as well that you could. I just I thought it was interesting in all of that. That's Donovan Smith, the left tackle at the end that came over to him, uh, kind of dancing with him a little bit. Those guys have done such a great job protecting Tom Brady, including Gronk as the blockers. They should celebrate. He should spread some of that around. He comes over to Brady and says, thank you for that pass, dog. Thank you for that pass for an extra half million. Uh, it is amazing. These guys make tens of millions of dollars a lot of times, like Gronk has or Brady has. But sometimes an incentive or a bonus is good. You know, you want to make a new down payment on a house? Go buy a yacht or whatever. Get your get your uh, receiving incentives up, and then you're all good.
2: <laughs> there it is. All right, let's grade T. J. Reeves on on the play by play here. Okay, let's uh, let, let's find a clip and uh, hear T. J. Reeves on the call last Sunday against the the Panthers with 25. Okay, that's great, Numb Chuck. There we go. <laughs> so that's it. That's what happened to you. They censored you wow. after you said the balls of the twenty-five. They censored you. They took you off. Oh, that was an EAS test that happened in the middle of the game. That's what happened. No.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure what that was.
2: Nunchuk- I'm not sure what that
0: was. We- I was. I've been trying. Let me tell you what's going on for the audience. Okay, Numb Chuck is, is working feverishly to get the highlight from me. It hasn't worked yeah, because Num Chuck doesn't Great. know how to spell his own name this is true. to get the to get the correct email address. So we now have gotten that sent while while you and I were talking. He has the highlight. I just don't know if he can play it. Uh, but we'll we'll see if we can make that work. So a little inside radio there. We were trying to make it work. While you and I were talking, Numchuck and I were trying to make that work. Who says that we don't go to great strides, great lengths to try to help the T.C. Martin show? That's I what we've s- been trying
2: to do. I say right now it's probably minus 240 to the no. It's not going to happen. But let, With it,
0: 25 seconds.
2: Yep, there it is. Yeah, pay, pay the people that have the no. There <laughs> That's you go. it, T.J. That's all you said. <laughs> That's it. One second. That's it. That's it. That's uh, it. Well, uh, here's,
0: here's the recreation. Okay. Brady rolls to the right flips to Le'Veon Bell, touchdown Buccaneers! And in honor of Gene Deckerhoff, fire them cannons as the cannons were going off. That is how it sounded on Buccaneers Radio, now recreated. On the TC Martin show, except
2: it sounded like it was 2020 with no fans and no cannons. That's what it sounded like right there.
0: Well, watch. I'll do the best that I can. <laughs> no. I'm going to turn this all the way off. No, that's okay.
2: I, I've had, had enough. I've, re- re- I, I've really, i really, I've had. I've really had enough. Now we're playing Brian Feldman here. I, <laughs> that's an inside joke for, <laughs> for us oh, people on the I station. See. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. All so. Right,
0: so wait a minute. I think this is what you want right here. With right. 25 seconds left, no. Photos. The bucks at the woman of Carolina. Bell is still the about tight formation,
2: play action. Brady rolls right, flips the bell, waving on bell. That sounds like it is. So and that's a Gene Jacker Hall fire them, ten. There, there we go. That's T.J. Reeves in the flesh. I think it's the first time we've had uh, the, our own play-by-play announcer playing his own clip. Yeah. Three thousand miles away. There we go. We
0: do whatever we can to make it work. And we made it work. I don't know how clear it was, but it's live radio, folks. And so there you go. And that was a blast with the cannons going up. You know, part of what I was thinking there, they had struggled in the first half. As You were watching some of this game. They're losing at one7 nothing. It's 7-3. I'm thinking if I don't get the recognition into Gene on this touchdown, they may not <laughs> score again. It is Tom Brady, but I better go ahead and do – Hey, in honor of Gene, it's, the, it's fire them cannons that he always says because that may be the only cannon firing right there.
2: And for so those touch. people that don't know who Gene is, he's like 77 years old and he's been doing the Bucs for how many years? I mean, like two decades? 34 wow. seasons.
0: 34 wow. seasons Legendary. He's in the Florida Sports Hall of Fame. He's the 13 time Florida Sports Caster of the Year. 13, 13 times. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame for his work, obviously, with Florida State. We love him. We hope he's healthy and gets back in to call the Eagles playoff game. uh, And Gene's got the privilege of calling two Super Bowl wins. And one of them came at the expense of the Eagles, by the way. I know you want to transition and talk about the game briefly in a bit. The Bucs closed down Veterans Stadium 19 years ago now against the Philadelphia Eagles and then went on to win the Super Bowl with the Raiders, by the way. John Gruden against his old Mm -hmm. team. And then Gene got to call obviously a Super Bowl eighteen years later last year in the win over Kansas City. So that's uh that's fantastic and there is a lot of optimism right now with this team getting a home game and potentially a second home game after the 49ers took care of the Rams, for sure.
2: There it is, uh, T.J. Reeves, the heir apparent to uh, Gene Deckerhoff there. There you have it. All right. <laughs> and, uh, there you go. And you and you, you T. did. T. You, Martin,
1: my agent that's for the right. That's right. You, guys, and, that's game, you.
2: and that's game one. Uh, so maybe you'll be going for the next 34 years. How's that? There you go. Let's, let's
0: uh let's hope that we're all around 34 yeah. Yeah. years from now i would okay. love that
2: yeah. all right man bucks back in the playoffs last year the wild card team on the road we saw what they did winning in washington winning in green bay and of course winning the super bowl on their home field how crazy was that against the kansas city chiefs um now this year they're the number two seed And they're at home hosting the Philadelphia Eagles, which you mentioned. These two teams met on October 14th. Of course, you were there, T.J. Reeves. Tampa Bay won that game 28-22. I remember watching this game. Brady played with an injured thumb. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. He completed, I I think it was like 19 of 22 passes during one stretch of that game. They lost Richard Sherman. Uh, in that game on the defensive side, their defense was actually decimated or depleted uh, in that game. And here's one for you. Uh, and I think I, I remember this, and you will recall it, obviously, because you were on the field there. But do you remember? Well, of course, you do remember. But I remember the biggest play of that game, probably, was when the last completion, I think it was the last completion that Brady made in the fourth quarter, it was third and seven. And who does he complete the pass to for twenty seven yards? Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown to seal the deal. And then they went they ran up the clock, went Neil Diamond after that. But the the Bucks needed that completion to keep yep. that drive alive and not give Philly the ball back and potentially lose the game. Well how's uh, that for some again, knowledge? Is that some, Vince, some strong knowledge going back on October fourteenth? You
0: dropped some serious knowledge about that Thursday night win, but give the Bucks a lot of credit because that was the stretch where they had lost in Los Angeles, they beat New England on the Sunday night, and then had to go play that Thursday night, I believe, the following week, two weeks later, in Philadelphia, uh, and, and won that game. And really, Philadelphia made that game closer in the second half than what it was. The Bucks were up three scores in the second half of that game. And Jalen Hurts was a big reason why. That was one of the first times that Nick Sirianni figured out, wait a minute, i got a mobile quarterback, and I can use him around the end here or as a threat to go around the end to help my run game. So they've picked up on that theme, I think, ever since that night and have run the ball better, especially with the read option. But, uh, yeah, Antonio Brown is not going to be part of the equation, as we well know. We documented that on your show, and everybody now knows that. He's gone. So the question now becomes, can Mike Evans make the plays? Can Rob Gronkowski make the plays? Will it be someone else? Someone else. By the way, we do have breaking news on the program here this afternoon because I'm looking at the official That's our producer, T.J.
2: Rees. That's right, Numbchuk's associate yes. producer. He's calling for the breaking news.
0: Yes, uh, Leonard Fournette was able to practice on a limited basis again this afternoon, and the belief is that Fournette will be activated off injured reserve for this game offensively. So Tom Brady about to get maybe another weapon back here on the offensive side of the ball that they need. Butts are very banged up at receiver and at running back, but Fournette back practicing. He has not played since the hamstring injury against the Saints back a month ago. So there you go. There's the latest from this afternoon.
2: There it is, ladies and gentlemen. All right, TJ Rees, our on-the-spot reporter, sideline reporter, oh, and play-by-play. <laughs> Man, as We've well. We had it all
0: like uh, in the first course. fifteen minutes of this interview, uh, I believe. No, yeah.
2: No. Is, it, is this where this is? It really an interview? Is it really? I, I feel it's not an interview. I think. I think it's just. Uh, it's like a co-host right here. That's what I think it is. Just here's what I here's what I want to know. So a year ago at this time, you were
0: poo-pooing my Buccaneer chances to win uh, in New Orleans. He keeps reminding me of this you. for a year I now. I tried to tell you. You were on with me. I was on with you. And so the Bucks beat the Saints, mm-hmm. and then we have the game at Lambeau. Yeah. And I'm trying to tell you, it's Tom Brady, it's Advantage Bucks, and you won't know, you want no part of it. And the Bucks still win the game at Lambeau. And then I'm trying to tell you in the Super Bowl, this is going to be the Bucs at home. Everybody's Chiefs this, Chiefs that. You had saw, you saw them mm-hmm. in person rough the Raiders up or whatever that's worth. I'm just saying, if we're coming back around, are we going to do this again every week? Where I'm on with you, you're on with me, and you're doubting the Bucks every step of the way. If if that's the okay. case, I think the Bucks are in great shape. Here
2: doctor. here's where the problem lies with your little storytelling there. Okay, uh, and I don't know how you how well you did with your kids when they were younger. You know, with the cookies and milk at night when you read the story. If you just if you skip pages, fast forward. I don't know, <laughs> but you you fail to realize. And you know this. How many times have I been on the bucks?, okay, during that run I was on the bucks, but no, I did not think. That they would beat the Packers at Lambeau Field, very true. Yes, and I get. I did take the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Granted, that's that's true. That's true. But I've been on the Bucks a lot this year. But I will stay steadfast, and I will say it to you again now, as I've said before, to cause another problem with you. They are not repeating as much as I would like. As much as I would like to, because. I like you. I like Gronk. I like Brady. You know, I I like Arian. You know, I I do like this team. I like the organization. I got I nothing needed to hear on a Wednesday. Uh, yes, it. You're not repeating. It's you. No one repeats. Yeah, nobody repeats. They're too banged up, and it's too hard to repeat. And the Packers are the cream of the crop. In the NFC this year, they are, and it pains me because I'm not a, I'm a Packer fan. I'm not. I'm not a Packer fan. You know how I feel about Aaron Rodgers, okay? But, I mean, I love the community, and if they get into the Super Bowl, I'm very happy. I'll march in the parade with them, you know, just like in, in 2010. No problem, okay? No problem. However, but just the way the Packers are playing – the, the defensive adjustments that they have made, the personnel, and Joe Barry's their defensive coordinator, this Packer defense is the reason why the Packers are playing this well. And yeah, Rogers having a phenomenal season. You got Devontae Adams. They're probably more healthy now than they have been all year. I don't see that replay happening, TJ, for the Buccaneers if they do face the Packers this year.
0: This is all I needed to hear on a Wednesday, was that the doctor is now doubting the Buccaneers again in the postseason, and we'll see what happens starting with this week against the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, go, go right ahead. Please tell me you're not loading up on Philadelphia plus the eight and a half or, or the nine. Or no, no, I no. I'm on best, your best
2: side. Best I am, Here we go. So All you right. hear it with your own ears. I'm on All the right. Bucks. I'm on the Bucks right. with uh, with the minus the eight, the teaser pleaser, because Philadelphia season's over. It's just like Pittsburgh. Philadelphia season's over. Those teams in Pennsylvania, they don't belong in the postseason. Forget about <laughs> it. I don't know. It. Get the cheesesteaks fired up. A- Let's have some cheesesteaks and forget about the football for until September.
0: I love it. By the way, the Buccaneers, with that win and cover over the Panthers last week, now 7-1 and one as at least a nine-point favorite mm-hmm. at home this year. The lone game is that, is that 9 nothing shutout yeah. to the Saints that nobody can explain from Sunday Night Football back four weeks ago. But the other seven times that they've been favored by at least nine or more, win and cover in all of them. So just, I know the playoffs are a different thing. I know the Eagles are telling themselves it's going to be different this time around. And and by the way, one more thing, uh, there will be a little bit of a cold front relative to us coming through with some rain. There is a good chance of rain during the game, which the sideline guy is thrilled about here on the T.C. Martin Show. Mm-hmm. And it's going to probably be a temperature in the low to mid-60s for the game, not 80 degrees sunshine with humidity, which is what we had last weekend, and we've had early this week. So the Eagles are going to get a little break, it looks like, on the weather and the heat because the Buccaneers are going to likely put them in the green jerseys uh, and they have already decided that. They're going to wear white, put them in the green jerseys, and maybe have the heat affect them, but it's apparently not going to be you know, that hot, and it may even be rainy on Sunday in Tampa, just oh.
2: FYI. And just to give you a little fun fact as well, too, okay, going back to the Packers, remember, Packers, eight home games, win and cover seven of the eight. That's seven and one, my friend, and blasting people. The only one that they did not cover, they got the win, undefeated at home this year, was against the lowly Browns, winning 24 22. So uh, there's something to know about your covering. A,
0: a game, by the way, while we're parsing things, that they could have very easily. <laughs> easily lost if baker mayfield had not thrown the ball to them four times including at the end of the game where inexplicably they're running on them the whole time have a chance to get in range and kick the field goal and beat them and let's have baker mayfield throw it three plays in a row (laughs) and almost throw the interception on second down and go ahead and throw the interception on third down to croak them so green Bay's had some good fortune you know along with good play buccaneers have two I'm just saying to you, before this ever begins, don't doubt Brady and the Bucks, especially if it's head-to-head against Aaron Rodgers. You already saw it once. You All saw right. it a year ago.
2: I'm going to ask you this question here. Yes. All right, as we get ready for the Super Wild Card Weekend. I'm not a fan of this. It changes every year. Now it's Super card, Wild Card Weekend. Uh, who should be on upset alert of the other playoff games? Raiders-Bengals, Patriots-Bills, Your Eagles, Buccaneers, we know that there's no upset there, according to you, uh, and really me. Uh, Niners, Cowboys, Steelers, Chiefs, Cardinals, Rams, TJ Reeves says upset alert too.
0: So this is uh, in advance of Three Dog Thursday. Mm -hmm. I love the San Francisco 49ers again in that spot. You were on with me on the Three Dog Thursday podcast, and we were both touting the Niners in L.A. against the Rams. Great comeback by them. I think the momentum can continue, and I think Dallas – uh, that for whatever reason, remember, Dak, speaking of the Packers, Dak Prescott played that awful game off the bye against Rodgers and the Packers a few years ago. That may still be in his head I'm, in the playoffs I'm talking about, where they were the two seed or the one seed, whatever they were, they had the bye, and Green Bay came in there and totally outplayed them. Uh, I think Dallas has some vulnerability here in this game, and I think San Francisco may be able to take advantage. So if I'm taking one team for the upset alert, it's San Francisco and Dallas after that Buccaneer-Eagle game on Sunday.
2: Ah, uh, see where you're going? See, you know I like the Bucks, and I gave out the Bucks on your three-dog Thursday. You join me on that one, and you're right back on them again, and so am I, my friend. Yes, not sold on the Cowboys. I Like the Niners, again, very physical team. They just beat down the Rams, specifically in that second half of that game, and that's exactly what the 49ers do to opponents, and that's what that's why they've won five in a row You know, against the Rams. Or was it now six in a row? I keep losing yeah, great track. Fi- great yeah.
0: finish by them. You just wonder, with all they had to summon to win in overtime, did it take a lot out of them to be right back on the road seven days later and play a playoff game? But here's the other thing that you wonder as well. And Dallas, to their credit, this was interesting. They were playing Prescott, the starters, Ezekiel Elliott, all the way into the fourth quarter. I mean, Jerry Jones got on the red phone down to Mike McCarthy and said, you're playing them. Keep playing them. We want to stay sharp. That was a bit strange, risking injury, when they could not help their playoff seeding as the number three seed team. But uh, did, did that help them stay fresh? Will they play tight? Will Dak Prescott play tight and throw maybe a couple of interceptions in this game? I don't know. I, I, I smell San Francisco being able to hang in there. And by the way, if San Francisco gets the win and the Bucks obviously get the win, then it's the 49ers that would go to Green Bay. Then Monday night's game, Arizona and the Rams under that scenario would come here. So if Dallas wins, then Dallas is coming here to play the Buccaneers. Should the Buccaneers be victorious? We think they will. Mm-hmm. So that's just interesting to keep an eye on on Sunday afternoon. A 49er win after a Buccaneer win ensures that they go to Green Bay.
2: All right, let me give you some breaking news. How about please. that? All right, there you let go. Me share it with For, him, from please. from a, from a wagering standpoint here. All right, so uh I don't know if I want to say your boy cuz he's not your boy. Uh he should have been your boy, but he's not. Maybe it's my boy, but our boy Julian Edelman went to the window and he bet two future tickets. Do you know who okay. he bet his two future tickets on? Now, it was kind of strange that you want to go in and bet two future tickets, but he did take one team in the AFC and one in the NFC. Mm. I don't
0: think this is hard to figure out. Yeah. I, think, I think my 13 year olds could figure yeah. out. He bet a future ticket there you on go. his team, the New England Patriots, yeah. 50, and he bet a future ticket on his buddy Tom Brady. Am Tom, I wrong?
2: 50000 to win 375000 on the Pats. 50,000 to win 170,000 shorter odds, of course, on your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's right. right. So there you go.
0: I love it, and he did. Did he pair it off as a Patriot Buccaneer Super Bowl somehow, some way to play each other, or he just went individual So, bets so, I, so here's what he
2: did. Here's what he did, and, and I take that back. This is not a Super Bowl wager. It's to get to the Super Bowl. So to AFC champion, and so he's got two wagers. He could cash on both. So for a hundred thousand dollar investment, he could collect five hundred and forty five thousand dollars. <laughs> Oh, right, so half, a Millie, half a milli, half a milli. Where we Millie. going? Hey, bro hook me up. We're going to the city. We're going to the We're city. We're going to the city.
0: We're going to the city. I love that, and uh, let's just let's just see. I mean, there's there's been a lot of talk, a lot of talk over the last couple of weeks about whether the Buccaneers would just fade from the picture. I'm still here to tell you, before I get out of here one more time, Brady can make the throws, and as long as he's getting time, which he is, rarely gets hit, rarely gets sacked. He can make the throws. Let's see if it continues against the Eagles, brother.
2: Yeah, again, we'll see. The, the health concerns me a little bit, my friend, so keep an eye on that. You gave us some news about Leonard Fournette today. We need to hear about Levante David and you know, Shaq Barrett the rest of a them. back in limited basis at yeah.
0: practice as well today, and that's the key on the inside to stopping oh. the run game and chasing Jalen Hurts in the run game. Let's see if Levante can play because he hasn't played the last three weeks with a foot injury, but they've been resting him as well. And everybody's freaking out because they watch the Jets run on them, they watch the Panthers run on them in the final game. They are a different run defense if Levante David is in there. Stay yeah. tuned.
2: Alright, look forward to the Bucks playoff run and see if they can get it off on a right note against the Eagles this weekend. Alright, my friend, great stuff. And uh, whether you're on the sideline or you're in the booth, uh, good luck. And uh, we'll try listening uh, over the weekend. Take care of my man.
0: Yes, I always love being with you. Great job, Nunchuck, hanging in there. We tried to get the highlight on. We got the highlight on. Always great to be with my initials brother in the desert. Be well, my friend.
2: There he is. TJ Reeves, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Also has the, the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Also, Big Fight Weekend. Uh, check him out on Twitter as well, too. At Buck Sideline Guy. We come back. We go Trevor Maddich. We go Kevin Kruger. We got Hoop. We got Football. Born Store. Ranger Dormo. what you're looking for on this Wild Wednesday. Get back on
0: track. The only thing that matters is a win. That's it. High of a In the entertainment capital of the world, Vikings blitz. Manning got it off the rare deep throw, and maybe that's why they don't do it. Intercepted by Xavier Rhodes. It's the T.C. Martin show. They're not used to this damn heat. They over there trying to set up damn pits over there on the sideline. Hey, Mr. Ross. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. okay
2: I ain't gonna worry about you no more. Three hundred yards, four touchdowns. <laughs> It's so sweet when you walk off the field knowing you gave everything you got. Team win tonight.
3: The doctor is now in. How you like me now? like now? like me now? How you like, me
2: now? How you like me now? Hour number two here on this Wednesday NFL football. The Super Wildcard weekend. We're hitting that this hour. We'll talk to Kevin Krueger, the UNLV head coach. Rebs get a victory last night against New Mexico, 85-56. Big-time win for the Rebels. That was nice. And they're back in action at home on Friday against Fresno State. we got that whole lot more coming your way. Don't forget Friday at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Again, the guests keep on keeping on. Our very strong A-team. That's it. Steve Berline joins us tomorrow. Scott Spritzer, we start handicapping it all. Mike Pritchard on Friday. Marco D'Angelo when we are the cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. And now we go to our center, our guard, our tackle, our tight end, our chef—a uh, guy that never sleeps because he sits there and takes the M&Ms and he moves them around and diagrams plays uh, while he's laying in bed at night. The one, the only, and that's why he is the 15-time Emmy Award winner, Trevor Maddich. How's that intro? That's an awesome
1: intro. I want you to do it again. I want to record that and play it and play it and play it. Although, apparently, I did sleep on one thing. I just heard you read that UNLV score. Yes. I didn't realize that New Mexico left the building after halftime.
2: They did. Uh, Very reminiscent to the football side, maybe, right? (laughs) Oh, ow, 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 Trevor, you'll appreciate this. So, uh, I talked to our, our good friend, or my good friend yesterday. Tony Sanchez, the former coach at UNLV, who was over at TCU this past year, was, was on the staff of Gary Patterson. And uh, as we know, Jerry Kill, who you know very well, uh, you know from his days at uh, you know uh, Minnesota, Minnesota and everything, absolutely. So Jerry Kill gets the job in New Mexico State, takes Tony Sanchez with him. Sanchez actually played at New Mexico State back in the day, so I was very happy for our our good friend Tony Sanchez, who we still feel got a a raw deal here at uh, at UNLV, as he really did improve the program. So there you go, a little college football. Um, I don't know what that is, a nugget that I'm throwing at you there.
1: Well, and and New Mexico State, they call Texas A&M the other Aggies.
2: So there you go. That, that is true, right? There We've got go. the
1: Aggies and the other Aggies.
2: There so. you go. How much time have you spent in Las Cruces, my friend? Uh,
1: you know, not a single minute, but one day I hope to go. <laughs> there you go. New Mexico State football intrigues me. It just intrigues me. I, really? I don't know how to even get – yeah, it's just like I, – I guess Las Cruces is right across from uh, –
2: Texas Tech, is that right? Uh, across, I uh, mean, near Lubbock, or they're, they're close. From somebody. I mean, even though they're in different states, but you're right, they're close. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's right. So
1: I want to, I want to kind of dive into that rivalry a little bit and understand it. And one of my favorite rivalries in, in college football is is Nevada Reno and Nevada Las Vegas UNLV. Hmm. They hate each other. It's so bitter, and people around the country don't understand that. And I, I would like to learn a little bit more about New Mexico State and kind of who they
2: hate. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I, I I think it would be New Mexico State in New Mexico, wouldn't you think? I mean, that's the the well, natural. Yeah, and uh, but you know, hate is
1: hate is delicious in its own way. Whether it's big, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, or whether it's kind of unknown, it still is very spicy, and I, and I kind of like it. I love football hate.
2: Yeah, there you go. It would would Harvard Yale be football hate?
1: I don't know because they both know that they're all going to be rich and in the same corporate boardrooms. So I think they're just playing at hate up there because they all know what their future is going to be. They're going to be our boss.
2: Okay. All right. Uh, Well, I don't know about hate. might be a strong word here, but I'll tell you what I saw. Uh, which you were involved with, uh, you were on the call on ESPN Radio, you did the marathon uh, with the Georgia-Alabama game on Monday night, and I want to get a quick take on you of know, that, but you know what I saw? I saw intensity, my friend, from the opening coin toss. Did you see the looks on those guys' face, the captains, when they came out there at midfield? I thought that referee was going to panic when he was uh, showing him the coin and everything, because those guys wanted to get after each other. They did get after each other. It was a physical brand of football, and I don't know what it is, Trev, but it just seems like the SEC, they they ramp it up a notch when it comes to physical football. Can I get a witness? Yeah, I, I Hallelujah. Yeah. You talked about that coin toss, so look at who they sent
1: out. Alabama, one of their guys was Evan Neal, left tackle. He is 6'7", 350. And I think they had to go to a, a sailboat manufacturer to have them make his pants because his thighs are so big around an ordinary clothing manufacturer couldn't make his football pants. On the other side, Georgia sent out a man who's so built and so rich. His nickname is Zeus. Right. Zeus White, Zeus right. White was out there for that. So yeah, they they started out with the, with the all bus team, uh, but it was very intense. It was because Georgia knew what was at stake. I mean, they they've been seen all year long as one of the greatest teams, certainly. In, in, in memory, if not one of the greatest defenses ever, they got pasted by Alabama in the SEC championship game. And if Georgia had lost this, they, this team would have gone down in history as one of the biggest disappointments in Bulldog history because of what the expectations were all season long. And I think they knew that. and That's one of the reasons I think that they were so dialed in because this was their only last
2: chance. Thoughts on Bryce Young. I mean, he started off the game nice. I mean, really, it was kind of a tale of two halves when we're talking about the quarterbacks. Stetson Bennett was rattled. You could see that in the first half. But then, I mean, he connected on some big plays, felt much more comfortable. And then he had, you know, the two big touchdown passes in a five-minute span there in the fourth quarter that really propelled Alabama to the victory. But on the other side, uh, Bryce Young with the two interceptions. And you mentioned the Georgia defense. They held the tide to 30 yards rushing, Trevor. So take that and attack that however you want. Well, a lot of that had to do with with Georgia being
1: intense and Georgia not making mistakes. Because in the SEC championship game, Georgia made a lot of, of busted assignments, busted coverages. You know, the coaches got, I think, a bit complacent. In their defensive, especially play calling, and Alabama was able to anticipate what the defensive assignments would be, and they adjusted their play calling on offense accordingly. And it was just, it was just all Alabama from a mental standpoint in the SEC championship game. This one, both teams were executing really well. I think the biggest difference in the game happened because of injuries against, you know, that Alabama suffered. Some of those before the game ever started. For example, they lost two starting offensive linemen in the the semi against Cincinnati Alabama did right guard right tackle and they both came back and played but they were both kind of dinged up and Georgia took advantage of that there were problems on defense for Alabama because of of injuries to the corners their two starting corners which we can talk about when we talk about Stetson Bennett in a minute but you brought up Bryce Young and the real problem for him was that he had already lost his, his second-leading receiver in John Mechie. In terms of yards, Mechie actually was their leading receiver in terms of number of catches. He had 96 catches when he got hurt in the SEC Championship game and went out. Uh, and then they lost Jameson Williams early in the game. And so they were without their top two receivers. They tried to throw the ball to Jaleel Billingsley, the tight end who – was expected to be a really good receiving threat coming into the season, but he was just an unmade bet. He was dropping passes in this game early on. They they featured him on some pass routes, and he fell down, so it was incomplete. Bryce Young's first interception happened because Young threw the ball right to where Jaleel Billingsley was supposed to be on a vertical route up the right sideline, but Billingsley didn't fight his way past the corner. And so the safety was all by himself where the ball came down, which is where Billingsley should have been had he fought his way past the corner. So it wasn't working out throwing to him. So they threw to some of the, the freshmen and sophomores that weren't ready for prime time. And let's go into the second half because this is kind of the moment when the wheels fell off for Alabama, and it had to do with freshman receivers. Alabama had a 17-play a drive that ended up with a field goal attempt. The reason that drive bogged down in the red zone was because on second down, Bryce Young was hit in the head as he threw by two guys. He still threw a dime to the right sideline up the field a ways it would have been a first down to wide receiver Ja'Cory Brooks. Hit him in the hands, dropped it. Now it's third down in the red zone. Bryce Young hit again as he throws. Drops a dime even farther down the field around the 10-yard line to an out route to another freshman in Jai Hall. Hit him right in the hands. Dropped it. Now, those two passes probably would have gone to either Mechie or Williams. Instead, it went to two freshmen. Both drops back-to-back, fourth down. Alabama lines up for a field goal attempt. It's blocked. The next play, Georgia rips off a 67-yard run. They end up scoring on that drive, and Georgia, you know, the wheels came off for Alabama, and Georgia jumped on top and never relinquished it. And it started with a 17-play drive. Alabama controlling the clock, controlling the Georgia defense. Freshman drop, freshman drop blocked field
2: goal you hit the nail on the head and you described that perfectly that's exactly what happened and that's how the momentum changed and we see that in sports specifically in college sports in in a big Game like this, and that's that. That's where it went wrong, you know. For the Tide, and Georgia capitalized, and it was just the reverse, you know, early on where Alabama, you know, jumped on them early, and you can see Georgia was a little bit flustered, uh, specifically Stetson uh, uh, Bennett. But yeah, they in in the fourth quarter specifically, it was all Georgia. They had the mojo. They everything was working for them. They made the big plays because really, Trevor, when you look at this game statistically, it was pretty even except Alabama made the smart plays and they made the bigger plays, and uh, and that was the difference in the game.
1: Yep, and uh,
2: and Georgia made the,
1: the, the mistakes in the first one. In this one, though, once again, Georgia made their share of mistakes early in this game, and then they kind of yep. tightened it up in the second half. But the other problem was on the defensive side. Yep. Alabama's starting two corners were out or gimpy, and they didn't really yep. play. And so that left the backups, and the backups are talented. But, you know, one of, them's, one of them is Kool-Aid McKinstry, freshman. The other one is Kyrie Jackson, a junior. But both of them played well when they had to be pressed into service the last couple of games. And but the problem is it hurt their depth. And with Jackson, uh, you've got a problem because he was he was a guy that they targeted, and they targeted him a lot. And they ended up Georgia did taking advantage of him as a matter of fact one of those touchdowns was a 40 yarder vertical up the right seam to freshman A.D. Mitchell from Stetson Bennett you know Georgia scored that touchdown and that ball wasn't well thrown Mm -hmm. Mitchell was running a, a vertical route right up the seam and the defender Jackson was just inside of him the ball should have been thrown up and outside so that the receiver could adjust outside to it. Instead, the ball was thrown inside where the defender was. But Jackson is not their regular starter. And he didn't know where the ball was. He didn't see it, didn't turn his head until it was too late. That ball came down literally inches past his head into the hands of receiver A.D. Mitchell. And because Mitchell saw the ball, he caught it, scored the long touchdown, and that was part of the action that caused the wheels to fall off for Alabama. But once again, it's directly due... To injuries. This time, instead of receiver, this time it was due to injuries in the defensive backfield. And I'm not taking anything away from Georgia, just to say that you know it was it was not the Alabama team that you would expect because the attrition was really strong.
2: Yeah, no, and you're right. And it's not making excuses. That's just the facts. When you lose, you know, guys like Williams and Mechie, and then again, you know, lose, you know, you got offensive linemen dinged up, and then those corners that you're talking about, those are key. Pieces uh, to, that you're missing there. And, you know, you're throwing in basically freshmen and maybe some sophomores in there, uh, you know, for these guys. And no, Alabama was not uh, at its strength. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was a war of attrition, and Georgia won that. And especially Alabama just did not look like the same Alabama team in yeah, that fourth and, quarter, and, and, plain and simple.
1: And DC, though, that did work for them, though, in the 2017 season. Remember, that was when they played Georgia in the uh, national championship game. Georgia was down, I think it was 10 nothing in halftime. So Saban decides to pull a bunch of of, of veterans or least experienced guys, including starting quarterback Jalen Hurts, put in a bunch of true freshmen, including Tua Tongo-Vailoa, Najee Harris running back, um, uh, Devontae Smith, wide receiver. These are three guys that were all eventually first-round draft choices. Uh, Jalen Hurts eventually became Heisman runner-up at Oklahoma, and Devontae Smith won the Heisman at wide receiver. So he puts in these freshmen at halftime, Thinking that, well, we got to do something. And in that game after the 2017 season, the freshmen delivered and they ended up beating Georgia in overtime and winning the national championship. This time, it wasn't a choice to play the young guys. They had to because of injuries. Correct. And those young guys did not deliver.
2: Trevor Maddich joins us ESPN College Football. All right, the season's over for Trevor. Gets a little bit of a break now. Uh, Real quick, Trevor, as we put a bow on this college football season, Mm. best moment for you? that happened during this uh, college football season. What's your biggest takeaway? Uh, you
1: know what? The best moment for me was when Michigan beat Ohio State uh, in Ann Arbor. Uh, it had been so long since they had beaten Ohio State and played for a Big Ten championship. And when the fans rushed the field, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. You, you and I have both seen mm-hmm. T.C., fans rushed the field. But you had 110,000 fans that all poured down onto the field until there was no more space for anybody else to get out of the stands mm-hmm. onto the field. The players stayed because they did not want to let that moment go. And that gushing of emotion was, to me, one of the most beautiful things that I've seen in college football for a long time, especially because it didn't lead to a COVID outbreak among the players. But then, similar to that, was in the national championship game that we just saw. The game was sort of still in the balance when um, Bryce Young threw a pick six, and that iced the game. On the sideline, the cameras went to Stetson Bennett, Quarterback for Georgia, former walk-on, who transferred away from Georgia, then transferred back from a junior college under scholarship. Wasn't supposed to be the starter. It was supposed to be USC transfer JT Daniels, but he's been hurt, etc. Stetson Bennett, too short, too untalented, everybody thought to play, had led Georgia to their first national championship in 41 years, and the camera on him on the sideline in tears. And players and coaches coming up to him to congratulate him, the real raw love and emotion of that moment was also, I think, right up there with Michigan. Now, those
2: two moments are what college football really is. Great stuff, Trevor, great call. And our guy, Double B, Brian Benowitz, was there at that game. He was in the stands, and I asked him, you know when he got back. Our guy, uh, the Cosmopolitan, I said, did, did you rush the field? He goes, nope. I, I I left that to the kids and everybody else. He stayed in, in, in the stadium, but he said the exact same thing that you said. You know, being there was just incredible for that scene. Did he, did he cry? Uh, Yeah, he cried. He cried. He had his amazing uh, got, blue on, right. and there you go. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And and by the way, by the way, Kirby Smart, the Georgia head coach, has been so dialed in and focused and and, and you know, not emotional, especially after the FCC championship. His players needed to see him like that. When that final gun sounded, Kirby went bonzo nuts. He just went completely crazy. I mean, literally running around the field, yelling at people, jumping onto people's backs, demanding piggyback rides. You know, the, And to see that gushing of emotion from Kirby after all that he'd been through since he's been in Georgia with Alabama and, and finally winning it and getting that monkey off his back. I, that was another beautiful thing. I mean, to see Kirby like that in that moment, we won't see it again until he wins another one. But it was beautiful in the moment.
2: All right, let's transition to the NFL. Of course, Raiders Bengals. We're talking a lot about that here. It's the Saturday game, and especially the way the Raiders won the game Sunday night. That talk about being there in, in a crazy atmosphere. That was uh, unbelievable. I've never seen uh, a team. Convert, uh, you know, fourth, uh, rather six fourth down conversions, Trevor, uh, like that, especially when you're talking about, you know, two fourth and sixes, fourth and nine, three fourth and tens, uh, and then a fourth and 21. It, that was amazing. Now the Raiders have got to get themselves ready to travel to Cincinnati. How do you see Raiders and Bengals, my friend? Well, the way I see Raiders and Bengals is uh, Raiders have
1: been to score a lot of points. Joe Burrow, quarterback of the Bengals, is hot. Right now, and the thing is, he has got uh, arguably the best group of skilled players in the NFL. The Raiders' skill players have been diminished. I mean, especially because of what happened with Henry Ruggs, the third, and and not having him available. Well, you know, the Burrow's got folks to throw to, and so I, I think that this will be a game that the Raiders need to expect to score a lot of points in order to have a chance. If this is a low scoring game, a defensive struggle, I will be absolutely stunned and I will eat my hat.
2: There you go. It sounds like a Trevor Manich over for Friday afternoon. That's what I'm kind of sensing already here. I, I am
1: I'm heading in that direction, but you also know when I say I will eat my hat, my hat is small and it's made of
2: chocolate. So <laughs> Out boy. There you go. All right. Uh, so we got game Saturday. We got Sunday. We got Monday for the super wild card weekend. So the Raiders, Bengals will kick it off. And then we go two teams you know a lot about Patriots and the Bills, my friend. We saw what happened in these first two games, and we talk about emotion and we talk about a little hatred there. That's definitely here in this rivalry. How does the uh, trilogy play out here? You know what? Mac Jones
1: has been getting the quarterback for the Patriots a whole lot of love all season long. And he's done really well as a rookie starting quarterback. But there's been times when he hasn't done well. It's kind of been up and down. And I think think the love has kind of overshadowed some of the problems that he was bailed out because of his defense a lot of times and because of their running game. And I think this is the kind of a game that he's about to run into a buzzsaw. The Bills have a defense that if it's playing at its best, they're dialed in to frustrate and really dominate a quarterback like this. And the Bills have been frustrating to me, and I guess a lot of people that have kind of ridden with them, uh, over the course of the season in terms of wagering, um, or at least in terms of picks, because you know they've been as good as advertised at times, and then they'll do things like go down to Jacksonville and be a 12-point favorite or so, and not even score a touchdown and lose outright. And the Bills have been up and down that way. But when the Bills are on, they're as good as any team in the AFC. I expect them to be on in this game. They're only laying four points. And I know that, uh, you know, the Patriots defense is playing well. And I, I get Bill Belichick in the playoffs. I get all that. But if the Bills don't play at the top of their game in this game, I will also eat my hat. And so you know, they've just got more ability to be dynamic on offense than the Patriots do. So essentially I'm looking at two defenses that are very good when they're playing their best and one offense that is very good and dynamic when they're playing their best. And so right now I'm I'm giving the edge to the Bills.
2: Yeah, and again, they have been a very hard team to figure out. A lot of these teams have been very – Hard to figure out, and we go back to that game when the weather was miserable and the wind and everything. And like you said, Mac Jones only threw three passes, and Belichick said we're going to pound it into the ground, and and the Patriots, you know, upset the Bills there in Orchard Park. Uh, game time temperature, Trevor? Do you know what that's going to be on Saturday night there in Buffalo? Seventy-eight degrees and a light breeze. That would be indoors in someone's house watching the game in the comfort of their own home. But four, it will be four. How do you like that? So you're saying it's positive degrees? That's right. four. have you ever played in four, my friend, in Provo, Utah? Did you ever play in four? In New England, did you ever play in four? No. The the coldest I played was like it was like
1: it was like twenty, but the wind chill was below zero. And that was at New England, by the way. There yeah, I was playing for the Colts at the time. Yeah, yeah. and I was I was I was playing uh, left tackle. Against Chris Slade, who was a Pro Bowl pass rusher at the time for New England, and it, and the temperature was just, you know, it was the wind chill was incredible. It was below zero, super cold, and uh, and I loved it.
2: <laughs> I thought it was great. All right, of the other games, Trevor, which intrigues you the most? Eagles, Bucks, Niners, Cowboys, Steelers, Chiefs, Cardinals, Rams.
1: You know, of those, Cardinals, Rams intrigues me the most. Because I could see this thing going either way. The Rams have been another teams that have been up and down. I mean, they they've been dominant this year, but there have been times when they've disappeared. And Stafford has really surprised me because at times he's been great. Other times it's like, well, who 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 body snatched Matthew Stafford and, and inhabited his uniform for this game? And so again, when you expect teams to play at their very best, then uh, then great. But will they? I think they will here, and I think because of that. I would give the edge to the Rams because of the receiver core, even though they've had injuries in that situation and because of Aaron Donald, who's mm-hmm. a one man wrecking crew. But when I have thought that over the course of this season, at times they've burned me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this comes to trust. Do you trust them now that it's the playoffs to get all of their potential onto the field? Cause they didn't during the season. at some key moments. And so right now my, my lean is the Rams to cover their lay of four, but, You know, it's up to the Rams. I don't think the Cardinals can beat them, but the Rams certainly can beat the Rams.
2: All right. uh, Some breaking news here, Trevor. I want to get quick thoughts on this. Uh, Speaking of that game, safety Eric Weddle, we remember him, right? Coming out of retirement to sign with the Rams for the playoffs. Jordan Fuller got injured last week. You know, he was their defensive signal caller. A big blow to the Rams. But what do they do? They go back and bring Weddle back. Weddle hasn't played with the Rams uh, since he retired after the 2019 season, but he was the team captain. He was the defensive signal caller. How does this play here? Because the Rams have got a lot of injuries, especially on the defensive side of the ball, That they got hurt against the Niners. Uh, talk about Weddle coming back. Is, is that a difference maker? Can is, Where does that stand as far as you know Fuller out and Weddle being a replacement and not playing uh, at all for the last two seasons?
1: You know, it's uh... – Uh, it's sort of a stopgap. You know, it's a matter of knowing what to do and who else are they going to bring. Because now you're talking about signing somebody off the street. And, you know, are you better off signing somebody off the street that knows your system um, and that you know, or somebody off the street that will have to come in and learn the names of everybody there, including the the terminology um, for everything that's happening there. And so, you know, it's it's a problem. It's a real problem. This is another one that I expect to be a higher scoring game, but that I expect the... Rams to be able to to do more on offense. Now is DeAndre Hopkins for um, um,
2: the Cardinals doubtful? He's he's out, right? Yeah, he's out. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. You see, to me, to me, that's a big deal because you've got the injuries with the Rams in the secondary, but without him, you've got a, a. You don't have the full capability of exploiting all those things. And we still get down to that pass rush of the Rams. And that, to me, is going to be one of the key factors in this game. So, you know, if if Kyle Murray has time to throw, then there's going to be all kinds of problems. But if Kyle Murray is hurried without Hopkins... Does that then mean that they won't be able to fully exploit the greatest weakness that the Rams have in this game? And that's something that is you know people need to evaluate for themselves what they think is going to happen there.
2: Yeah, and the Cardinals really have not been the same team that we saw earlier on, even in the mid-season. I mean, they have been bad, including last week, you know, where they uh, lost to the Seahawks, uh, you know, thirty-eight to thirty on their home field as well, too. But uh, no, they have lost four out of their last five, and to me, this looks nothing like a playoff team at all. So, again, if the Rams were completely healthy, I would be all in this, both fists, pushing all the chips forward, and I still will be, because I think the Rams are going to bounce back from that loss to the Niners last week and and take care of business uh, with the Cardinals. Well,
1: And you would think if you're the Rams, it's being played in Los Angeles, you'd think they would appeal to the league to actually have it switched to play it in Arizona.
2: Yeah, there you go, right? (laughs) Yeah,
1: because they they are lousy at home, the Cardinals.
2: It's true. All right, brother. Hey, thank you very much, uh, as always. Uh, It's great talking with you. We will continue to talk with you on Friday and the rest of the season. But from the college football perspective, my friend, seriously, no one is better than you. We know that. The people at ESPN know it. Uh, fans know it, and uh, your your work does not go unnoticed, my friend. And uh, you're more than college football. You're the NFL, and we appreciate you big time. TC, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Man. There it is. All right, let's play Trevor's song. There we go. A little cool in the gang for you. See, Numbchuck remembers. He remembers what's going on here. There it is, Trevor Baddish. He loves the misled there. We come back. Kevin Kruger joins us. We talk UNLV hoops.
0: Here's the man, the myth, the oracle has spoken, the mouth. You hear me talking, TC Martin.
2: Feeling pretty good here on this Wednesday, gotta say. I mean, we're hitting football. We got basketball last night. The Rebels victorious with a beatdown over the Lobos of uh, New Mexico. And join us right now the head coach Kevin Krueger, what is happening my man? Oh, not too much what's going on there. Hey man, it's just uh, it's just a party. We're talking football, we're talking hoop. There we go. We got the Raiders going crazy. And uh you name it, man. You you name it. This is what we got going here. Did you get a chance to Either attend or or see the game Sunday night with the Raiders' craziness over the Chargers.
3: Uh, yeah, we watched it at home. Uh, no, I didn't go. I actually went the couple weeks before to the Denver game. Yeah, but I didn't. I, I didn't go to the San Diego, the Chargers game. But uh, yeah, what a what a wild uh, mm-hmm. of was all the possibilities and the what ifs and the what's going to happen. Uh, it, For a season finale, I don't know if it could have asked for a much better script for anxiety and tension and (laughs) and all of that rolled into one.
2: Exactly. Now, when you're sitting there and you're watching that game, with really no investment whatsoever. I mean, as as a coach, when you're watching another sport like that, and you're are you kind of on the edge of your seat a little bit? You know, especially when you see fourth down conversion, good. Fourth down conversion, good. When you see six of those, especially when you're seeing fourth and tens and fourth and twenty ones. I mean, uh, how are you reacting to that?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the NFL is and even college football. I mean, yeah. those guys that there's the size of those guys and the physicality that. It's one of the, if not, it's probably the most amazing sport to me, just in sense of what those guys are able to do. And then you talk about a guy standing pretty much still, and he's got you know four, five, six, seven guys running at him, trying to 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 get at tackle him. It it makes it just that that sports just fascinating to watch, especially when you get quarterback play, you know, like Derek Carr and Herbert had in that finale
2: you know kevin you saw some really good football teams at your time at oklahoma did you did you go to many games and, and spend uh any time around the football team at all
3: we did i mean and just like here i mean we go to all the games yeah. and events we can i mean football it's it's fun to support and watch and and cheer on but yeah i mean i know you when we were there we had uh the two years the three years i was at OU, we had two years of baker and the year of kyler so uh uh, it was it was pretty fun to get down. I mean, my favorite part of a football game, other than of course the you know cheering, you know hoping they win and watching and rooting for them, is get is all the pregame stuff. Just watching those quarterbacks throw it, the kickers kick it, uh, those guys run the routes and the timing and how everything has to be in sync is just it, it's fascinating to watch.
2: Did Mayfield or Murray ever come by the gym? Did you ever get a chance to see those guys and and what kind of hoop game they had? Uh, I never got to see those guys, but yeah, there were a handful of
3: football players that would come through know, knowing a basketball player and shoot around a little bit. And, but as any basketball player, I'll tell you, you know, it's never fun when a, a football guy comes into open gym because they're so rough and they right. they love the physicality of it. And it's, uh, it always ends up turning into a wrestling match.
2: You know, we heard so many stories and the success that Kyler Murray had as a baseball player and a lot of people including himself thought that you know would, would be his profession and said he goes football so i was just curious to see if murray had any basketball skills
3: i would imagine if kyler murray wanted to be on the pga tour he could probably <laughs> be on the pga tour i think he's uh he's somebody that is gifted and has the work ethic and it seems as whatever he wants to put his mind to he could probably figure it out all
2: right so congratulations in order my friend for you getting your first mountain west conference victory last night against uh new mexico a very impressive performance uh the rebs dominated from the beginning uh what's your major takeaways from last night's game
3: uh really just proud of the guys uh, coming off a covid pause we weren't sure You know, two days before the game, we weren't sure if we'd have everybody or eight or, you know, a mixture, you know, somewhere in between. So, just really happy that they, you know, they they came off that COVID pause with an incredibly uh, great mindset and approach to the New Mexico game. They had clearly uh, done everything they possibly could while in isolation to be prepared for New Mexico mentally, and I think it showed. Uh, Our biggest concern was their wind. And their conditioning and how much they'd be affected, but uh, they did a great job last night of everybody that played uh, played their minutes hard, and and I think that's uh, that's something to, there's something to be said for the way the guys uh, performed because when they all play that way and play hard and play for each other, uh, we can be pretty good.
2: Yeah, I mean, as you brought up there, I mean, you guys missed two games due to COVID. One because uh, San Jose State uh, they had they were affected by it, and then the last game, you know, due t- uh, to your team having not enough players, you guys couldn't make uh, the travel up to Air Force for that game. Last night seemed like it was going to be a little bit questionable, at least you know, earlier in the day or the day before, on who you were going to actually have available to play last night. Take us through the last week, Kevin, on and, and what transpired here and, and how you had to handle all this.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, being the holiday break uh, with games and whatnot, my days get a little fuzzy looking back on it. But we, there was one day where we had – uh, seven guys, and we were practicing, getting getting ready to go to Air Force, and or not getting ready to like get on the plane, but right. getting ready mentally right. to prep for Air Force. And then uh, a few hours later, we were we we were co- hit COVID again, and so we fell under the threshold of however how many we needed, and or fell under the the minimum of how many we needed. So then it quickly became a pause with just a few guys able to work out. And then we just kind of sat back and waited for a day and just to see when we were going to play next and who and how, if anything, was going to be shuffled around. And it was really just kind of became a hurry-up-and-wait game. And and then, uh, you know, we ended up having enough tests out that the game was going to happen against New Mexico. And then it slowly kind of just trickled into eventually by the time tip-off came around having
2: everybody. So how were you able to practice during that time, and how many guys did you actually have? I mean, because if you're down to, you know, seven or eight guys, I mean, that's pretty hard to, to really conduct practices. And I know that, you know, your, your bench is pretty long there and this and that. Again, we don't know how, you know how many guys were actually affected, and what were your practice numbers like last week?
3: Well, yeah, we we were practicing there with seven, and then and then we fell under the seven, so we didn't practice because that was under the minimum of uh, of playing. So we kind of we actually gave the guys uh, about a day and a half to just get away and make sure they stay isolated away from the guys who had tested positive. But uh, the practices just pretty much became an individual workout type uh, feel that we would have in the spring or the summer, where uh, yeah, we we can't go five on five, uh, we can't. Uh, do anything outside of pretty much two-on-two or two, two, on two or three-on-three, three. so it was just a lot of skill development, a lot of work, uh, a lot of discussion, conversation about what we would do if this scenario happened, what we would do if that scenario happened, because like I said, we were preparing to go to Air Force with seven, and pretty much just stand in a zone the whole game, and <laughs> and just kind of hope that uh, we could get out of there uh, fighting as best we could and stay healthy, but then we fell under the minimum, so we, we had to adjust, and then uh, then we, we're getting ready for New Mexico with about 8 or 9, and then the next day with, with 10 or 11 or so, and then the, on game day, all 13.
2: All right, and then again, uh, you score 85, and again, not having a, a full squad really to conduct a lot of your normal practices, and you win basically by 29 points, 85 to 56. I mean, very, very impressive performance. In your opinion, Kevin, uh, biggest difference from – the opener against san diego state to last night's game
3: well i think that they the guys kept the same defensive uh mentality uh they they kept the ball in front um they did a really good job playing team defense and and guarding the dribble and contesting on on three-point shooters but uh offensively last night was much better for us i thought we, we were really patient uh we were stubborn in the in the approach of getting a good shot or creating an advantage for a teammate and uh, then uh, you know when that started to go we were able to go on a a handful of runs that kind of spread the game open and and I thought the guys just did a really good job playing for each other and moving it side to side and and just being ready to shoot and uh, I think that's why we had that success offensively and that combined with a couple transition buckets uh, kind of allowed us to break the game open.
2: Don Williams 29, Bryce Hamilton 17, Royce Ham. Chips in with eleven and then thirteen boards on top of that. Uh, these guys are, are becoming your big three, aren't they? I think
1: so. You know
3: they are. They are, and then Donovan and Bryce are are playing well, playing really efficient. And then Royce has been about the same guy every day. You know he goes after every rebound like it's the game winner, and you know he's finishing around the rim. He's a constant threat uh, for the guards to throw to at the rim, and I think that's a lot of the reason that Donovan and Bryce are able to. To have the scoring opportunities they have, because you've got a guy like Royce down there on the block fighting, and uh, so uh, yeah, they they kind of work in symmetry. And then you know the way Jordan's playing, the way he's sharing the ball and getting it moving and not turning it over is as uh, pivotal as anything.
2: Kevin Kruger joins us, the head coach at UNLV, and the Rebels improved a one and one on the uh, the conference uh, slate here in the Mountain West. They win eighty five fifty six over New Mexico last night. Kevin, again, I don't mean to to have this be a negative thing at all, but again, just when you look out there and you look at the Thomas and Mack Center and you look at the fans, and you know not being there is as much as you want, you know, during this, and has that any effect on your guys? Is that something that that the you guys talk about at all? Like, hey, wish we there were more fans there. And if that is, how do you approach that, and, and, and how do you address that not only with them but just everyone else here in the community as well to get more people out there?
3: Yeah, I mean, we we would love to have 18,000 there every night, but I think these guys understand, you know, we're still in a pandemic. Uh, there's still a lot of people that are affected by COVID. Um, and and they, they yeah, last year, you know, they played the whole season without any fans, so right. um, I think they're kind of used to the, the ever-changing, you know, fans in some buildings. You know, you watch a couple college games yesterday, and there's no fans uh, allowed at all. And then you watch a different game, and it's sold out shoulder to shoulder. And it's just kind of part of the game at this point. And, but, yeah, I think, uh, you know, with, with Harp here coming in as AD, I think we're going to be able to do a lot of exciting things. He's mentioned a few ideas that uh, to help get people back to the Thomas and Mac. I think uh, this is a group that we've said from day one we think it's easy to root for. We think it's a group that uh, the city should be proud of. They they fight. They compete. And uh, we're, we're going to do everything in our power to keep it that way. But at the end of the day, you know, we know we got to – we gotta win games. We gotta get uh, UNLV uh, back in the in the discussion around not only around town but nationally and on the West Coast. And uh, the Rebel fans are here. You know, a lot of people like to talk about Raiders and Knights and and that. And while the of course they're they're pro sports franchises and their following is as good as any, I think that there's more than enough people and enough love in the city of Vegas to to support the Rebels as well.
2: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head too, because you guys do have an exciting brand of basketball, and you've got some talented guys. And again, you know, the this, this city, I mean, they, they love the Krugers. They love you. They love your dad. And it just, we, we need to get people, more people out there and supporting this. And you're right. I mean, that's the way uh, the nature of, of sports is, as you know, that, uh, you know, you win, uh, the fans will show up. So, uh, you know, you're definitely on the right track and everything. And then you mentioned Eric Harper, too, and let's give him a shout-out. I mean, today he was formally introduced as the athletic director at U- UNLV, uh, happy for Eric, and uh, talk a little bit about that relationship with you and him.
3: Oh yeah, ecstatic for Harp. Super excited that he's got uh, the opportunity to lead the, the athletic department. I think uh, you know we're similar in the sense that you know I call Vegas home, even though I wasn't born here. I think Harp calls Vegas home. You know, him and his wife are happy to be here. They want to be here. They want to be at UNLV. Um, the, the relationships that they've that Harp has formed over the last nine years. are Ten years at UNLV, I think, uh, ultimately led to President Whitfield giving him the nod, uh, the way that people speak about Harp and, and know that uh, Harp wants what's best for UNLV. He wants what's best for the student-athletes, and, and I think that just uh, resonates when he talks. You know, you can hear it and feel it in his voice. He, uh, he wants to get all the coaches what they need, what they feel they, they, they need to, to be successful. He wants to get all the student-athletes what they need and what they feel they need to have the best experience. And and that's why I'm I'm excited about Harp going forward. Uh his press conference today I thought he hit it out of the park. He uh he, he said what felt like was genuine and, and true to true to his heart that, you know, he's worries about the student athlete experience and he wants it to make it a memorable couple of years and uh and and that's why I'm I'm excited for him and I'm excited for the opportunity to work with him. And uh, you know, a lot of the things he's had some good ideas as to help helping get people back at the Thomas and Mac specifically towards basketball, but I think uh, it'll be fun to watch his, uh, his fingerprint be uh, put all, all across the athletic department.
2: Good. You know, like I said, it feels like there's stability there now, uh, you know, there from an administrative level and then coaching and that sort of thing as well, too. So that's, that's good. I mean, definitely happy for, for Eric Harper and yourself. Kevin Kruger joins us. You're now into the conference play. Uh, how much more comfortable – are are you feeling now as a head coach compared to going back into the beginning of the season?
3: Oh no, I'm still a wreck. <laughs> still a wreck.
2: <laughs> I, I, lo- no, I love I'm your still- honesty, man. It's awesome.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you know it's just one of those things where you know uh, as a player you just always felt like you were in control. You know, you you controlled the the game, you what was going to happen out there, and the, the and you just felt like you had more of a hand in it. And on the coaching side. You do your best to give them the information they need, but then it, you still feel like you don't uh, have the same effect that you did as a player. But, I mean, having a blast, I mean, this is this is what I've always wanted to do, um, you know, get to go home and actually spend spend the afternoon with my wife on her birthday in Vegas as the head coach of UNLV. So, uh, I don't think I could ask for much more. But, you know, I'm still having a blast doing it, but uh, I'm not going to lie. There's still a lot of days where I get pretty anxious and it, and excited and uh, and all that wrapped into one for uh doing what I hope to do is the best to, that we can to get the guys ready.
2: All right, so let's do a little self-scouting. You're you're cool doing a little self-scouting on yourself, right? So yeah, sure. let's, let's let's grade yourself. Let's go mid this is a midterm grade I guess pretty much, right? We're about halfway through. Uh things that you feel that you you're better at right now and maybe things that you still need to improve on. What is a Kevin Kruger self-grade?
3: Um I I don't know. There's, there's obviously, of course, a lot of things you do differently. I think uh, any time you look back, you know, would we have? We probably would have changed some things up in the Michigan game, and definitely the Wichita game would have guarded that differently at the end. Uh, I think uh, I, I there's the one thing I, I remind myself before every game, and I ask Coach Will Saxon to remind me about. is You know, the the timeouts. I like to I like to hoard my timeouts. I like to keep them, and I want to save them for the end of the game. That's good. and uh and I, I think uh, I try to do that, but I've also got to be a little more. One thing that TJ always thought did really well was, you know, he he felt that stopping the run or changing the flow of the game was much more important than potentially saving it. And right. I, think, uh, I think I think I could do a little better job of that. And um, that that's something that jumps out. Uh, I think that I think I I think the guys still enjoy me. I think they enjoy our practices and our workouts. So if I was to give myself a pat on the back I think that's that's where that would lie is that I think the guys still have a fun fun time coming to the gym and getting ready for games but yeah we could go on for for a whole lot longer than a couple <laughs> minutes on what we, what we do differently
2: right no that's great man and again I I think uh listeners and fans appreciate that and that's what they love about you I mean you just you know you, you know where you're at and everything and you know your strengths and you know you know your weaknesses and that's that's fantastic and um yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Friday night? But I've
3: also got, I've got a Hall of Fame coach uh, that's not, uh, not shy about uh, letting me know or giving me a look out of the side of his <laughs> eye after a game if uh, I should have done something different. So I I appreciate that as well.
2: This is true, right? Because you, you, we always talked about that. I was like, okay, well, how involved is Lon going to be here? Is he going to be spending time with, with Kevin? Is he going to be at practices? Or is it those dinners afterwards? So, so take us uh, behind the scenes that a little bit
3: yeah so he actually uh yeah he actually came up with my daughter uh cammy girl who's just uh, just over two and she ran around mendenhall for a little bit but then they left uh, right after the practice started and you know it's kind of but i always welcome his I, I want his opinion and i want that but he's actually never said anything after a game of what about you should have done this or what about that uh the what, what he has done though has been you know complimentary of of not only me, but the staff of, you know, I thought, you know, almost kind of just putting not his stamp on it, but just saying I thought you guys did a really good job with such and such, or, you know, that play you guys ran out of a timeout, or that adjustment you guys made there, I thought that changed the game. I, I thought that really was, was good for you guys, that you guys noticed that. And and that means the world to me because, again, he's watching from a bird's eye view. It's, you know, it's, it's something that's, you want all of his input and everything he can give. I mean, it's there's also probably a laundry list of things he would do different. And so for him to kind of give a, us a pat on the back here and there in that regard, it, it means the world to us.
2: All right, Friday night, uh, home game against Fresno State. This is a big one. Uh, give me your thoughts uh, about what you're going to see when, uh, when the Bulldogs come to town here, and uh, especially coming off the big 29-point victory over New Mexico last night.
3: Yeah, I think you just know, uh, you know what you're in for when you play Fresno and Coach Hudson. Uh, they're going to guard you. They're going to share the ball. Uh, they're going to take care of the ball. You know, the big kid Robinson being from Vegas, you know, he enjoys playing here, playing against us. So, uh, we know we're going to have a 40 minute fight on our hands. And, uh, after, after the New Mexico game, we're, we're in a good place. We, uh, worked out this morning and I think the guys understood that. You know, it's going to take that effort and then more. You know, every game is going to take the effort from the one before and then a little bit more. And I think they're ready for the challenge. They've uh, they've tasted a, a little bit of, you know, the the great victories and, the, and the, the sour defeats. So I think they they're ready to to continue progressing with the foundation they kind of keep laying throughout the year.
2: Do you feel that you're relatively 100 percent healthy with everybody now, whether it's the COVID or anything else for Friday night and then moving forward?
3: Uh, Yeah, we're pretty close. We're pretty close. I think the the biggest concern right now uh, would just be, yeah, just making sure that their wind and their condition is is where it needs to be, uh, uh, based, uh, of course, from, uh, you know, the handful of guys that were out for COVID.
2: Mm-hmm. All right, Kevin Krueger, we appreciate you as always, my friend, and good luck on Friday night. We'll be there uh, seeing it all. One and one currently in the Mountain West Conference. And it looks like you guys are going to reschedule that Air Force game, That that's now uh, on the schedule in the docket as well too. Or is it San Jose? No, the San Jose State game. Are both of those going to get rescheduled? Because we know that the NCAA had said earlier that they just may just call these things no contests. Because earlier on, I know UCLA-Washington, UCLA got a, an actual forfeit with that game and then a a week or so later they change it and they say okay now we're going to call these things no contest real quick what have they told you about uh, these situations with covid
3: yeah they're going to do their best to reschedule them i think the one thing that we appreciate and and respect about the conference is uh how much the goalposts seem to move and it's not because of what they choose it's because of the cdc counties and state guidelines and and school protocols and guidelines so they've got a lot of things they have to consider but uh, i know they're working tirelessly i've talked to nico roberts a bunch just trying to make games work trying uh, not to put too many in a week uh, to make it too too much for the student athletes to travel and play and change cities and and whatnot but at the same time they they know that the guys want to play and so they're going to do everything in their power to reschedule games that are missed, and and I think at the end of the day, that's what not only the, the players but the fans would want as well because they want to, they want
2: to watch their teams play. You got it. All right, my friend, keep on, keep it on. We'll look forward to seeing you on Friday, and I always appreciate you coming on. All right, thank you. Take care, man. There he is, Kevin Kruger, the head coach of the UNLV Runner Rebels, victorious last night, a twenty-nine point victory. against New Mexico. New Mexico a little bit down this year. They've had some problems. You know, UNLV played San Diego State tough, you know, there in the opener. Then they had the two games that were postponed. We're supposed to uh, uh, go to uh, San Jose State. That game, you know, canceled. Or it looks like, again, now going to be rescheduled for January the 17th. And then the Air Force game, which uh, was supposed to take place last Saturday, and uh, they're working on rescheduling that as well, too. But uh, the Rebels do play Fresno State. Get out to the Thomas and Mac Friday night. It is an 8 o'clock game. Start your weekend off with that, huh? I mean, this UNLV team is exciting to watch. Just got to get more people out to the Thomas and Mac. And again, Mountain West Conference play Fresno State. They're tough each and every year. This is usually a battle with UNLV and Fresno State. So this is a big game for Kevin Krueger and the Rebels. Get out there, support them. 8 o'clock tip-off at the Thomas and Mac. And then, of course, Saturday, you know, you're back at home. You're having a good time. You're enjoying, uh, you know, watching the Raiders. 130 playoff game against the Bengals. All right, I want to thank Trevor Manich uh, for joining us today. T.J. Rees from Tampa Bay. And, of course, Kevin Krueger, UNLV head coach, for talking some hoops with us. Tomorrow, Steve Berline will join us. Scott Spreitzer, just to name a few we got more Raiders coverage coming your way. And, of course, Friday at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Come on out and join us for that. Mike Pritchard will be there. Marco D'Angelo, myself, Brian Benowitz, the whole crew as always. So come on out and see the show live 2 to 4 p.m. on Friday. Back out of here in studio tomorrow at 2 o'clock. If you miss any part of this show, go to the website. Check it all out. The past interviews all up there as well, too, at TCMartinShow.com.